I may be at risk of saying something obvious, but here I go. Marriage is hard work. Hi, thanks for joining me for another episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. You know, most wedding anniversaries where I live in North America happen in June. And that's why it seems like the perfect moment for us to turn to a conversation I had with Gary Thomas. He wrote what I think is one of the best marriage books of all time. It's called Sacred Marriage. No, it's not a how-to guide. There are no guarantees that if you follow five simple steps, you'll have a happy marriage. Instead, Gary, who's now a pastor in Houston, Texas, but used to be in Bellingham, Washington, makes the case for friendship, hard work, and holiness. He believes the best marriages are not ones where everyone always gets along. But what does a good marriage actually look like? Well, you're going to have to listen now and find out. This is Haven Today, and we're calling this week Sacred Marriage. I'm Charles Morris, coming to you from the West Coast, but we're going to the Gulf Coast, Second Baptist Church. He's one of the pastors. He's writer-in-residence. We've had him on the program before. Gary Thomas, my brother in Christ, welcome back to Haven Today. Thank you, Charles. It's great to be back with you. You know, the first time I ever read your book, Sacred Marriage, I thought, this is the best book ever written on marriage. And I wanted to have you back on the program because you've totally rewritten it now. You've reworked it. The subtitle, What If God Designed Marriage to Make Us Holy More Than to Make Us Happy? You and I probably first met 10, 12 years ago. And even in that short a time, marriage has changed, hasn't it, Gary? It it certainly has. Nobody could have imagined, I don't believe, 10 years ago where we're at now, which I think is a call to the church to step up our demonstration of marriage. We might well Mm -hmm. lose the political definition of marriage. In some ways, we already have. Yes. But we can fight for a biblical demonstration of marriage, that they can see what happens when you have a sacred marriage empowered by the Holy Spirit, enlightened by the truth of Scripture, and having our hearts transformed by Christ, we can present what Jesus was talking about in John 13 when he said, they'll know us by our love. Mm, mm, how poignant. You know, that's very interesting. And, and maybe just, it's not something we talked about even 10 years ago in our churches. There were couples living together outside of marriage, going to church. Let me just ask you today, why even get married? When I was in seminary, one of my professors read a very moving essay by a Catholic priest about the first time that he believed the wine turned into the blood of Christ and the bread turned into the body of Christ. Now, speaking as an evangelical Christian, we believe those are symbols. It's not the same Roman Catholic view. But there was just this awe that he felt like there was a miracle taking place before him. Charles, I feel that same miracle when I perform a wedding, that I believe from God's perspective, something happens. It's not the flowers that the bride picks out or, or the tuxes. I was going to say the groom picks out, but usually the bride picks out the, the tux as well. It, it, right. it, it's not the, you know, the dress and, and all that. The Bible says that God makes two people one. Two individuals walk into that church. 
but they leave as a single unit. God will never look at them the same. They must not look at themselves the same. That something really and truly happens on a spiritual basis. And, and for me, that is so far apart from trying out living together or just being, you know, side by side for so long. God calls us to something much deeper because in the end, our marriages aren't about us as much as they are about God and and speaking his message of reconciliation to the world. And God gives us an unconditional commitment that he asks us to make to each other. Mm. Gary, this is something perhaps that most people getting married, most people already married, even Christ followers, don't think about so much. We go to marriage counseling to fix a problem. Preparing for marriage, we seek counseling, and hopefully everybody does. You're stepping back even from that. You introduce this concept of holiness and relationship with God. Could you just explain that to us? And how can that work preparing for marriage? How can that work after we're married? Well, when Sacred Marriage first came out, it was year 2000. So I was writing it in the late 90s. And at the time, Mm -hmm. the the church addressed marriage really from a how-to perspective. And I felt like not entirely honestly. But by that, Mm -hmm. I mean, apply these five principles. You'll have joy, peace, happiness. Your marriage will be perfect. Guaranteed. Just read this, and (laughs) and you just need to pray more, trust God. And and I think what caused the stir was sacred marriage when it first came out. One of the things was that I said, you know what? Even the best of marriages are difficult. Mm. And, And the reason I don't shy from that is I think difficulty is behind most glorious efforts. I don't believe it's easy to master an instrument, but boy, I love music. And when somebody has put down the time and the practice and uses their gifts, it is almost a transcendent feeling to hear somebody that's really mastered an instrument or to see a great athletic feat. That That's difficult to be able to train your body to do that. So why do we think two selfish people becoming one, putting the other first, is going to be easy? Or two sinners becoming more like Christ is going to be easy? So I think even if you make the best choice you can make as to who to marry, it's not going to be an easy relationship. But that's when I really began to understand I was being challenged to grow in my faith as a married man far more than even I had been as a single man, that God was using marriage to challenge my, my pride my sense of entitlement, my selfishness, mm. my mm-hmm. inability to listen. And, and, and I really began to see him use that relationship to, to transform me into someone that I think a little more closely, at least, resembles Jesus Christ. And I'd never really seen marriage addressed from that perspective. Now, you mentioned singles. I didn't get married with this thought. I, certainly, mm-hmm. it, it's not mm-hmm. why I got married, but now I, I do cherish it, I think, is one of the most important aspects of marriage. Mm. Gary, do you have something maybe in your own life that you could share with us on how being holy is more important than being happy? Well, actually, it, one episode happened not long after Sacred Marriage was first published. People remember after the 2001 attacks on uh, New York City and the Pentagon they literally shut down flying for several days. Now, I, I was flying just about every weekend at that time. And when they reopened airports, it was mm. miserable to fly yes. every weekend because two-hour lines getting through security, practically strip-searching you, grilling you and everything. 
And every week I'd get more and more frustrated. They weren't that well trained at the start. You felt like you were being grilled by the Keystone cops. I mean, it, <laughs> it was just terrible. And my wife didn't travel with me much back then because we had younger kids at home. And so a few months had passed when she finally traveled with me post 9-11. And after we got through security, she looked at me and said, Gary, what's happened to you? So what do you mean? She goes, Wow. You are negative, you're sarcastic, you're critical, you're being rude. I've never seen you like this. This isn't the guy I married. And I, mm. I realized I'd let an ugly situation turn me into an ugly person. I, I'd gotten sharper and sharper and less patient and less patient. And my attitude was just get me through here and then I can go. And I realized it's really not a very good witness to act like a son of Satan to go to a church and speak about the son of God. And so... I had to remember my ministry starts when I got to SeaTac Airport, not when I left SeaTac Airport. And so I would have at an earlier point in my marriage resented that. Well, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what it's like every weekend. Mm -hmm. But instead, I was able to receive it saying, you know what? She is what, what I call in sacred mirror, my God mirror, saying, Gary, this is a side <laughs> of you you don't see. Because, Charles, I don't want to be that kind of a person. No, none of us do. But yet we are sometimes, as you're pointing out, and not even realizing it. And, and so there my wife was acting as my sister in Christ. And, and yeah, as a husband, mm. I want to be respected and affirmed and told how wonderful I am. But I value the aspect of marriage when a wife who knows me as well, well, better than anyone, can say, Gary, in, in this arena of your life, you've allowed a compromise or an, an unholy attitude to really mm. become a part mm. of who you are. And I, I value that. Mm. If you just joined us, you're listening to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris. Gary Thomas, the author of Sacred Marriage, is with us. The book has been totally revised. We haven't had him on the air in a few years. If you'd like a copy of this book, maybe you've never read it, or just watch the video that we posted with Gary We'll give you our contact information at the end of our time with Gary. Gary, back to how times have changed. And we started out talking about that, and they have. Our culture is changing so rapidly. But what you describe as sacred, and I'm totally with you there, this sacred covenant of marriage with another person hasn't changed. You want to just kind of step us through a little bit of advice? I know we don't have a lot of time, and I want people to read the book, especially those who haven't read it. Step us through how we can have this covenant, sacred covenant, with another person that's, that's ordained by God. Paul stated the agenda for his life in his epistles to the Corinthians when he said, we make it our goal to please him referring to God. And I think mm -hmm. what happens in marriage is that we make it our goal to please ourselves. Most yeah. of us get married for decidedly selfish reasons. I'm going to have a better life being married to you than, than not. And so when our life doesn't feel better or doesn't feel happier, we resent it because every voice in our culture, and they get louder and louder, talks about the soulmate or their job is to complete us or to fulfill us or to make us happy. But when I said, you know, perhaps God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy, uh -huh. th then I realized God designed marriage to confront my selfishness, not to fulfill it, to ask me to die to my self-absorption, not to meet that or to, to coddle that. But, but Charles, here's what I found since sacred marriage has come out, because I'm, I'm in a different place. I've been married exactly twice as long as I was when sacred marriage was first written. came out when I'd been <laughs> married 15 years. Lisa and I have now been right. married 31. 
I found that what John Wesley said is true when he said, no one can be truly happy who is not pursuing holy. And, and, mm. and when you think about mm. it, no addict is truly happy. They're, they're driven, they're no. compulsive, but they're miserable. Nobody whose anger is out of control is truly happy because they're pushing everybody away. Whether it's materialism, whether it's lust, those things ultimately make us miserable. And so what I found is that by pursuing holiness, it creates a much happier marriage. It's just seeing happiness as the byproduct of a life that's centered on worship of God, service of God, and growing in God. I guess what I'm hearing also from what you've been saying is that it may be harder than ever, but yet it's just as possible as ever with the Spirit of the living God alive and working in a husband and a wife. Absolutely. You know, athletes who want to excel if they're in endurance sports will often go to Denver because of the thin air. They want to make the training more painful. Somebody that goes to a gym doesn't complain that it hurts when they're lifting weights. That's why they're going to the gym. When they're doing curls, they're not saying, why does this hurt? Oh, I hate this gym. No, they allow it to hurt because they have this vision, I want to be stronger or I want to be faster. I want to be able to run farther. Well, if we accept the goal of Christ, when he says in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that Jesus tells us to seek first righteousness, then when my pride is being confronted, I'm not resenting my marriage. Well, why is it so painful? Or when my selfishness is being confronted, why does this hurt so much? Instead, this is why I'm in the gym, so to speak, of marriage, to become stronger spiritually, to become more like Christ. Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. I'll freely confess, (laughs) I got married to be served. It took years for God to turn that around and said, Gary, this is your opportunity to grow in service if you want to become like my son. Mm. That's one of the chapters that you have in your book. I'll never forget that chapter towards the back, Make Me a Servant. And marriage can build in us a servant's heart. I know you still believe that. I think that's something we need. That's what you just said, isn't it? It is. You know, I got married thinking my greatest need was to be loved. And I Uh think through the years, God has shown me, Gary, not necessarily because that need has been met. God has loved us as well as we could be loved. He proved it by sending his son. He's given us his Holy Spirit as our comforter, our encourager, our counselor. And, And so just like we have a great need to eat, we're more spiritually like people pushing back from a Thanksgiving table where right now our need might be to exercise. And my marriage changed when I realized my greatest need wasn't to be loved, but to learn how to love. And Mm. and when I look at the witness of Scripture, love extravagantly. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Titus 2.4, older women should train the younger women how to love their husbands. Thessalonians, love you have for each other should be increasing. Jesus said, this is a new commandment, that you love one another. I mean, passage after passage after passage where I'm exhorted, grow in love, increase in love, build your capacity to love. And there's not a single passage that says, find someone to love you. And, and so the silence of Scripture speaks very loudly, and the breadth of Scripture speaks very loudly, that I should value every day the opportunity to grow in the ability to love, because that's my greatest need, being loved by God and letting God love others through me. And marriage changed dramatically for me when I was mm-hmm. willing to accept that that indeed is my greatest need. And really, we talk about growing a marriage. We talk about keeping a marriage I'd say servanthood, learning to love the other 
person, your partner, more than yourself is really the way that begins. And I can't do that on my own. I need the Lord working in me. Gary, could you make that practical for us? I think the key for husbands in particular to love their wives well, we feel convicted and we want to make some big gesture and often we can make things worse. And so I often tell guys, slow and steady beats big and sweaty. (laughs) Instead of having some big grand gesture that we just do one time, wives often feel most love when we find the little things when we're meeting their needs. And I found two things. One, my wife hates to fill up the gas tank. She just she mm. just doesn't like it. And so before I would leave for trips, I would go and make sure she had a full tank. And, and she would always laugh mm. and tell people about this magic tr- gas tank she has that she never needs <laughs> to fill it up. Or she just, for whatever reason, I'm the only one in the house that can buy toilet paper. I'm the only one that can fill the dispensers. And so rather than resenting it, I'm saying, you know what? This is one of the practical things I can do. She's never going to be mm. caught. And she'll laugh about that, and yet she'll brag about that with others. It still means something to yeah. her, doesn't but it? It, yes. it just kind of builds that heart of how do you find these little things that can bless your spouse and take joy in doing them. Wow. Gary, let's just talk about how God spoke to you in your life and how that related to you and your marriage to Lisa. Well, in both the Sacred Marriage book and when I do Sacred Marriage seminars, I, I try to leave couples with this question. Most of us wake up saying, how can I be happier today than I was yesterday? I think we have to fight that with a prayer. And the prayer is this, Lord, how do I love my spouse today? Like she's never been loved and never will be loved. I remember one morning when I prayed that prayer, the kids were much younger. It was a very busy time, had some book deadlines, some writing deadlines, some things to prepare for talks that were coming up and whatnot. And I prayed that in the morning One of our uh, children at the time went to a physical therapy session down in Seattle. We lived up in Bellingham. And and so it was pretty much an all-day thing with traffic and and the miles and whatnot and then waiting for that to happen. And God just had his way of making it very clear to me, I want you to take your child to that event. And I'm like, Lord, obviously you haven't seen my schedule for the rest of the week, how much Mm. I need to get done. Maybe we need... But it's one of those things, Charles, where you know God is going to make you miserable if you don't submit. And, and so I went up at breakfast time. My wife had gotten it up. I said, hey, I, I just thought I would take our, our, our child there. And she was like, oh, okay. And, and I got to admit, I was hoping for a little bit more than that. I, I, I was thinking maybe, Gary, you've got to be the most selfless, you know, giving husband in the world. But I'd already committed. So what are you going to do? Well, right. as I took her that day, found out that Lisa wasn't feeling well. She didn't know it in the morning, but she ended up just not feeling well at all. She ended up taking a nap, which if you know my wife, she just doesn't do that in the afternoon. And and it struck me when I'd prayed that prayer, I didn't know my wife was going to be feeling ill. Lisa didn't know that she was going to be feeling ill, but Mm -hmm. God didn't. Mm -hmm. He said, Gary, I want to love my daughter. And after Lisa woke up from her nap, she got a call from her older sister, said, hey, I'm unexpectedly going to be in town tomorrow. Can I stop by and see your house? We just moved into a new house, and none of her family members had seen it. Lisa's a lastborn, and her older sister was calling. And, you know, you always have that lastborn thing where she wants to please <laughs> her, her siblings. And so she was running around trying to get the house ready. And just as I got back and, and realized, again, the love of God who would, you know, not want a newly married couple to be embarrassed at their wedding and ended up creating wine from water— So God, wanting to take care of my wife, his daughter, said, you know what? I know she's not going to be feeling well today. I know she's going to want some extra time to take care of the house before 
her sister visits tomorrow, and just in a very practical way saying, Gary, you're my instrument to help give her a few more hours than she would have otherwise. That's something I couldn't have possibly mm. known on my own. Right. But just going to right. God in prayer that way, I was able to love my wife in, in a very practical way. Gary, do you just mind sharing with me a, some story of where looking at marriage from a more biblical, a more sacred, grace-centered perspective has helped somebody who maybe was already married? One of the most moving times in my ministry was at a conference when a couple came up and said, we want to introduce you to what we call our sacred baby, or <laughs> our sacred marriage baby is the word that they use. And I, I, what do you mean by that? And he told me a story that his wife had told him she was done with the marriage. It wasn't what she thought it should be or, or would be. And, and she had already arranged to have an apartment. She was packing up her things to move the next day. He had been working with his pastor, and his pastor had given him a copy of Sacred Marriage saying, look, I, I just want you to get this perspective. I, I want you to read it. So as his wife was packing her box, she knocked his copy of the book down, and it dropped face up. And she saw the subtitle of Sacred Marriage. It said, what if God designed marriage to make us holy even more than to make us happy? And it intrigued her because she had never heard of something like that. Mm -hmm. He had already gone to bed. She woke him up at 2 a.m. She'd started reading for hours and said, you know what? I've been looking at this the wrong way. I want to give it another shot. They got back together. It wasn't easy, but they ended up conceiving another child. They were now renewed in their marriage. And as I looked at this little boy who didn't know that his parents' marriage was almost ripped apart and then his home had almost been mm. torn apart. And then this little mm. girl who wouldn't have been born, you know, the cutest little girl with these tight blonde curls. It was really sobering to me to realize how powerful truth can be, that they were the same two people, now happy in their marriage, committed in their marriage, doing such good, healthy things for their kids, just because they began to look at marriage through a lens of why God created marriage, what God wants to do through their marriage. It's not just expectations, Charles. It's not just a few make your marriage better tips. It's really understanding mm. the whole purpose of marriage that makes us appreciate our marriage and be willing to do the work to make our marriages work. You've got a chapter where you talk about sacred mission. I like that. What does that mean? I've never seen this on an evaluation or a survey of why couples break apart. Usually you hear questions like, we had financial problems, we have in-law problems, maybe intimacy problems. But Charles, more and more couples that I've worked with, what I've found is that they just grow bored with each other. They really do over the years. They just, I know them well enough. And, and part of that is human nature. When you think about it, none of us are so fascinating that we can keep somebody enthralled for 50 or 60 years. We're, we're just not. I mean, even if you're Chris Rock or Tina Fey, after a while, your spouse has heard your stuff. They know your opinions. They know your best stories. And what Sacred Mission does is continue to unite us together in a common purpose outside of ourselves. God didn't create us to be satisfied with one intimate human relationship. God created us to be lost in seeking his kingdom together. We go back to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, not seek first an intimate marriage or seek first successful kids or seek first a comfortable home. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. And God loves us too much to let us be satisfied with living a self-absorbed 
life. And so when couples are so worried about the drop of passion in their marriage, I'm usually more concerned about the drop of purpose in their marriage. Mm -hmm. If they're not seeking first the kingdom of God, they're asking too much of their marriage, too much of each other, and they usually drown it in its selfishness. Mm. Is there a story, Gary, that you could share that kind of fits this concept of sacred mission? Yeah. I had a couple. It's pretty typical. They didn't have kids yet. They've been married three or four years and were just kind of let down. To be honest, saying, is, is this really all there is? Is a natural stage when marriage starts to feel a little bit more like just what is and routine. And their mm-hmm. pastor asked them to take over the church youth group at the time. And they agreed to, even though they found out that it really wasn't a church youth group as much as a delinquent group. And, and it just about, <laughs> at the first, threatened to tear them apart. I mean, it took everything they could have. But it's interesting what happened. They found themselves having to pray together to get ready for the meetings. They had a reason to pray together. Now it wasn't just a religious duty, but they had something they really felt like they needed to pray about. They saw each other in action. They just, and this is what couples don't get, a cheap, easy way to get more respect from your spouse is to offer yourself up to God and let him use you because you get credit for what the Holy Spirit does through you. Because if you're reaching out in ministry, God will certainly equip you with his Holy Spirit. And then your spouse says, wow, God really uses him. Or, man, look at the way God is using her. And and so their respect for each other grew. They had something to talk about beyond themselves. And and what they found is that simply by devoting themselves to serving God through their church, that it served their marriage. It gave them a reason to pray, a reason to talk. It gave them new respect for each other. And, And that's where I really believe in so many marriages, when we lose our purpose, we're going to lose our passion. It's just a matter of time. Mm. Gary Thomas, in your book, Sacred Marriage, What If God Designed Marriage to Make Us Holy More Than to Make Us Happy, you use a little phrase that's intriguing, contempt for contempt. What do you mean by that? And roll that out and explain that a little more to us besides just giving us a definition. Well, actually, I, I have to be honest. I stole the phrase from Francis de Sales. I, I, I don't know if steal <laughs> is the right word, but he, he said it a few hundred years before I repeated him. But what I found is, is working with, with couples, I, I think of one in particular. We were there just for a game night, just the four of us. And the contempt they showed for each other. It was like the wife wanted the husband to be defeated. Like she took pleasure when he had, uh, you know, misfortune just in the game or, or, or wasn't doing well. As reminded of 1 Peter 2.17, when Peter tells us, show proper respect to everyone. When he says everyone, I, I believe Peter would say, and that really begins with your spouse. And and most of us get married wanting to be respected and wanting to be served and to be Mm -hmm, noticed. mm -hmm. And the Bible really Mm -hmm. calls us, no, we need to show that person respect. We need to notice them. We need to appreciate them. And, And it's a challenge for us not to lose that wonder and awe of the person we married. In the book, I talk about how Mark Twain sort of loved his love out of the Mississippi River, it became so familiar, he just stopped seeing it. It wasn't special to him anymore. And I've seen that happen with far too many couples, where marriage just falls into the routine, they stop exploring each other, they get familiar with each other, they just lose the adventure of growing closer together or serving God together. 
And that contempt is just waiting to seep in. And contempt will kill a marriage. So, so we have to embrace mm-hmm. Peter's call that we show contempt for contempt, not for each other, and show mm-hmm. proper honor to each other as our brother and sister in Christ and our wife or for women, their husbands. Wow. Gary Thomas, author of Sacred Marriage. Could you lead us in prayer right now? Yes. Father, you know how you've designed marriage, and I know some out there feel wounded by their marriage and frustrated by their marriage. Lord, I pray these words that we've shared could challenge them to at least open up their hearts and minds to reconsider your purpose for marriage, what you're doing in their lives through marriage. Lord, that you would help us see how you can use even a difficult marriage to draw us closer to you, to make us more dependent on the work of your spirit, to appreciate your love for us. So I just pray you'd wrap your arms around every listener, that they would be encouraged in their faith and have hope in you in the work you're doing in their marriage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Gary Thomas, uh, the author of Sacred Marriage, just thank you so much for, for joining us here on Haven Today. Thank you, Charles. Thanks for joining me on Great Stories with Charles Morris. I hope this conversation with Gary Thomas gave you a better picture of what a sacred marriage should look like and does look like, in fact. And if you liked what you heard, can I also ask that you leave a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. But you can also go to haventoday.org to sign up for our weekly email and discover other episodes posted on our blog. Thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Charles Morris.